Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm still getting used to the fact that I get to say thank you to that too. It's fun being a dad. I'd like us to turn in our Bibles to Hebrews. Have you noticed something? Let me just point something out. I want you to think of all the Mother's Day messages you've heard. Okay? What are they mostly about? Honoring our mothers, treating them right. I want you to think of all the Father's Day messages you've heard. What are they most, mostly like? They're mostly like, you guys need to get your act together. <laughs> You're doing a good job, but you better do a better job. I was thinking about it the other day. I thought, wow, our Mother's Day messages are a lot nicer to moms than our Father's Day messages. <laughs> we get up on Mother's Day and say, guys, we need to learn to honor our mothers. You don't know what they've done for us. Oh, oh, all the things they've been through. And then we get up on Father's Day and go, dads. Those kids need you to be a dad, be a real man, you know. And I imagine someday the fathers go, what about us? Come on, guys. This is Father's Day. And uh, we just wanna, want you to know before we go any further that we honor you fathers today. Um, and just honor what you've done and uh, who you've been. And, you know, I, I can't believe that everybody in this crowd can look back and say, every day of my life I have no regrets, that everything in my life I think I did right. We look back and we can see things that we change. We can see things that we would have done differently. But you know, God knows that. The blood of Jesus not only covers that, but the love of God's able to correct those things and fix those things. And, and you don't have to go the rest of your life saying, I wish I had done things differently. God knows and, and what, who you are right now is who you need to be. And uh, be confident that God's doing something in you. And I want just to tell you that for a son or a daughter to see a father... Um, who may not have been a great father, who may not have been a perfect father, but to see that father turn their hearts toward the Lord and say from this moment, I'm going to do everything I can to be a man of God, to be the kind of person that my kids can be proud of, to be the kind of person that walks worthy of the calling of the Lord, that when they see that, really, no matter what mistakes you've made, that says a lot to them right there. That you're man enough to say, all right, from this moment, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm going where God wants me to go. And so... Uh, I just pray that, that this morning that, that uh, many of you have some things to be proud of. I know that. You look back and you, you've got some pretty awesome kids and you've got some good things that have come out of your life. But uh, I, I also want you to know that the regrets you have, the things you may have thought you did wrong or didn't do perfectly, that God sees those things. He's able to correct those things. He's able to fill in what you missed. And uh, don't spend the rest of your life wishing you could have been somebody else. Um, just say, who can I be right now? It's never too late to be the man that God called you to be. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we're harder on ourselves than our kids are. And uh, we think that, that they noticed everything that we did wrong. Most of the time they don't. And you've just got to know that God is doing a work in your family. He's doing a work in you. And uh, when your kids see that God's doing a work in me, that, that speaks to them. Um, and I remember, I, I've told you this before, but seeing my dad, now most of you, uh, if you were in this church Ten years ago, if you were in this church for a while, uh, you, you would have known my father. And many of you might have known him um, purely as a pastor, and you might have thought, this guy just seems to say the right things at the right time. He seems to be a, a real good man that doesn't make mistakes. Maybe you did see ma some mistakes. But as a, as a son, you can't live in somebody's house and not notice some mistakes. And uh, one thing that spoke to me, about my dad and probably helped me more than anything 
was not that he was perfect. He certainly wasn't. But that when he did make mistakes, he was able to turn and acknowledge those things and move on and turn and repent. And, and that said a lot to me as a, as a son. And so sometimes we don't realize, we think that our kids need us to be perfect, but what they need is for you to have a heart after God. And they need for you to have a heart that's soft towards God, soft towards His voice, and that you repent when you need to repent, you turn when you need to turn. And that says a lot more than, than trying to cover up all your mistakes, that you just show them, I'm doing my best to live a life before God, and I want you to do the same. In Hebrews, we, we find out um, a little bit about our, our Father God through our earthly fathers, through our natural fathers. And um, you've got to realize all of us in this room have probably had three different types of relationships as far as fathers. Uh, first of all, it's our earthly father, our biological father. Uh, secondly, we all have or should have people in our lives that helped us along spiritually. That may or may not have been a father to you, but in many ways played a role of a father. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in the room today that, that didn't have great fathers or, or didn't have a father that knew as much as, as you may know today. And maybe you felt that, uh, boy, I, I wish my father had known this. I wish my father had done this. But you know what? God seems to do something wonderful and miraculous. The Bible says he's the father to the fatherless. And for those whose fathers fell short, he always makes up the difference. And so you'll find that not only do you have those earthly fathers and you have these other people in your life that, that God has sent along to be that person in your life. Maybe, maybe it was uh, somebody that you said, this is a, a, like a spiritual father to me. Or maybe it's just a, somebody who is more like a friend. But God used people in your life to fill those gaps. If you'd let him, he'd use people in your life to fill those relationship gaps that you had and bridge the gaps that were missing. And of course, that other relationship that we have that's worth more than all of them is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that, uh, above all, is the relationship we need to learn from. Above all, that's the relationship we draw strength from and life from. It's good to have and to be a good natural father. But you know, there's many people in the Bible that did not have that that didn't have great fathers, that didn't have fathers that were always around. And God came in and made the difference in their life. Now, you can go the rest of your life and, um, and have good reason to say, I messed up because my dad messed me up. You know what? You, I mean, parents can mess a kid up. But you know what? When God comes in, he takes the old self and he crucifies it and gives you a new self. And so whoever you are, you've been adopted into a new family just with the same nature that Jesus had, that new nature made in the likeness of God. And as we've said before, when you study out what it meant to be adopted into the family of God, it's not like adoption as we see it because when, when we have adoption, and thank God for adoption, it's a wonderful thing. But you can always tell uh, not always, but a lot of times you can tell that a child's been adopted. doesn't look exactly like his parents. got some different characteristics. And um, you could tell he, came from diff he or she came from uh, other biological parents. Now, I'm sure he's loved. And uh, thank God, like I said, adopted parents are some of the most wonderful people because um, th that changes a child's life, to be chosen, to be loved. Uh, but you can always kind of tell, you know, uh, there's some things they learn from their new parents, and there's some 
some genetic qualities that they don't share with them. But when you were born again and adopted into the family of God, here's how the adoption worked. You were not adopted as an 8-year-old. You were not adopted as a 9-year-old. You weren't adopted as a 20-year-old or even a 2-year-old. You were reborn. When God adopted you, you got born again. So you are as natural a child of God as anybody else. You're not, you're not that kid that they go, ha, he has red hair and the rest of them have dark hair. No, when, they, when, when God looks at you and your new nature and your new self, he sees his likeness. The Bible says your new self has been recreated in the likeness of God in all holiness and truth. That's who you are. So you say, well, who do I fit in with? Where do I fit in? What's my family? I believe that you can look at Hebrews 11 and say, that's my family, the people of faith. As Hebrews 1 says, we are the descendants of Abraham. That we come from a long line of people that tr- believed God. Whether or not your, your natural father or mother believed God, this new self who you are right now comes from a long line of faith people who stood up and uh, trusted God. And that's a cool thing. But in Hebrews chapter 6, We're going to read a little bit about what God does and uh, about the place of him as a father and about the place of our earthly fathers as well. Because, you know, some of us are listening here as sons and daughters. I said Hebrews 6. I meant Hebrews 12. Please forgive me. Skip on over to Hebrews 12. So this morning, some of you are listening as fathers. Some of you are listening as mothers, but we all are sons and daughters of the King. We're all sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. And in order to be a good father, in order to be a good dad, you have to first know how to be a son. In order to be the father that your kids need you to be, you need to know how to look to the Heavenly Father as your source. Uh, because, guys, there's not going to be a lot of other stuff to draw on in some of those hard days. Can anybody tell me what Ephesians 6 is all about? What's the first verse in Ephesians 6? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The next verse tells us, the next few verses talk about how to be a dad. It says, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Instruction and discipline of the Lord. And then it talks about slaves and masters, and then we get into the rest of Ephesians 6, which talks about putting on the armor of God, being able to stand in the evil day, fighting the good fight of faith. And so I used to think, I used to read that and go, I mean, this is just all over the place. Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 are all about the family. Ephesians 5 tells us about marriage. It tells us how to be a godly husband, how to be a godly wife. It tells us how to relate to each other in a church. And then or Hebrews 4 and 5 tells us how to be in a you know, in a church and in a family and all these things. Hebrews 6, or sorry, Ephesians 6, tells us about children and parents. There's all these family relationships. And then at the end, he starts talking about armor and weapons and warfare. I used to think, it's just got ADD or something. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I know God wrote this thing through Paul, but it's just disjointed. It has nothing to do with each other. It's just like a, a P.S., 
put on the armor of God, you know, at the end. It didn't have anything to do with it. But it really is, once you begin to be a part of a family, you, you get married, you have kids, or even if you're, just, if you're a single person and you start to join with a body of believers and realize that God put you in that family, you start to realize that armor thing's not too far off. <laughs> that war thing's not too far off. There's a lot more to relationships than just being in the same house, being in the same place. And there are times where you need to stand in the evil day. And that, that phrase, as I've said before, it sticks with me more than anything. When he says, put on the full armor of God with which you will be able to, and he, and he talks about all these things, and one of the things he says is you'll be able to stand in the evil day. And I imagine what the evil day looks like. And I'm sure we can all say in our lives there have been moments where there has been an evil day. The evil day is when everything seems to be thrown at you. When it's like the world is thrown at you. And he says you're able to stand. He talks about the shield of faith which is able to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. So here's the deal. When you're in a relationship, when you're a dad, when you're a mom, when you're a husband, when you're a wife, you're going to need to know that the armor of God is what you're going to need to put on every day to be the father you need to be, to be the mother you need to be, to be the spouse or the, the, the son you need to be. And so when we read this, all of a sudden it makes sense. These aren't, these aren't foreign thoughts. They go together. Family and armor go together. And that may be a strange thing, but they go together and so in all of this just bringing us back to the point as a father you first have to understand that your source of life your source of strength is all coming from the heavenly father when you know that when you know he's got the armor you need he's got the love you need you've got the life you need you're not going to be always looking to these other people to validate you to make you feel that you're worth it it is nice to get a card on father's day it is nice to get a thank you but how many of you know that you usually don't get a thank you uh, uh, for a lot of the things you do until much later in life? Now, I don't know that as a father, but I know as a son. I know there was stuff I didn't realize about my dad until I was 25. Until he'd already been with the Lord. There's stuff I'm realizing now, now that he's in heaven, he's not with us. I, there are things now that I think of that I go, oh my goodness, I, I didn't realize how valuable that was especially now that I'm a, a dad and starting to realize the sacrifices of being a dad, there's things you don't even realize. So if you needed a thank you when your kid's five, you may not get one. You may get one if the mom says, say thank you. That kid's not going to fully realize all the things you're doing for them. They're certainly not going to thank you for spanking them or grounding them or giving them a time out. If they do, they're weird. I don't know. Something's, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, maybe they're really, really good kids. The Bible says that a wise person loves correction. But I can tell you, as a kid, I didn't love it right away. It took me a while to love that. And uh, it, I always needed a cooling off period before I, before I ever thought this was for my good. And Hebrews 12, it says this. We're going to go skip straight to the uh, verse 7. Now understand, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of people that once they made the jump, once they made the jump to truly believe in Jesus, they suffered great persecution for it. 
In fact, it says in this very book that their property was taken away. It says that it implies that their own families would disown them, that uh, the only culture they had left, I mean, you think the Romans took over and the Romans were in charge. And as a, as a Hebrew person, your only identity would be in your family and in your faith. At least this is all I've got. You know, when, when we don't even have our homeland, when we don't even have our own government, at least we have each other. And then that same family says, if you're going to choose Jesus, you have to leave and you're not my son anymore. Now imagine that. Not only are you being persecuted by your own people, you're being persecuted by others. You're being persecuted by your own family. And so there's a big part of this that's, that's telling them endure, endure. And it says it's for discipline that you endure. He's talked about God dealing with us. God training us to be more like Him. He said God deals with you as, with sons. For what son is there with whom his father does not discipline? Now, you need to, to hear this first and foremost because people are going to tell you that God's disciplined you with all sorts of things. But read that verse and remember that point. He disciplines you as sons. Is there anybody here who would discipline his son by breaking his leg? No. We're not those kind of fathers. When the Lord disciplines you, he does not discipline you with the enemy. The Bible says, what fellowship has Christ with Belial? What fellowship has light with darkness? He's not using the devil to beat you up a little bit. No, 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 no. When he disciplines you, if you want to know what discipline, what God's discipline looks like, then realize the root word of discipline is disciple. How did Jesus treat his disciples? Did he ever say, Peter, you're such a moron. I'm going to beat you over the head until you finally say, I'm an idiot, I need to listen. No, he didn't do all of this. He loved them. He trained them. He showed them. And when they needed to be rebuked, he rebuked them. And they took it like men sometimes. They should have. But there were times where he turned around and said things like, you don't know what spirit you're of. There were times where he turned around and said, I mean, think about it. We all want somebody to pat us on the back and tell us we're doing a good job. But when they couldn't cast the demons out of that kid, he doesn't go, that's okay, boys. You did your best. He said, you of little faith, how long do I have to put up with you? That's what they needed to hear. They needed to hear that this demon didn't come out, didn't just stay in that kid because God just wanted the kid to have a demon. They needed to hear that they could cast this demon out if they had the faith and that he had the faith for them to do it. He said, here's how you do it. You're going to need to fast. You're going to need to pray. And so Jesus disciplined his disciples, but you see, he did not abuse them. He did not treat them like animals. He did not treat them like slaves. He treated them like friends. And so, in the same way, we know that the Father disciplines us as sons, not as slaves. He does not discipline us as animals. He does not discipline us as, as the world might think of it. He says he disciplines us as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we've all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Now that respect might have come later. It might not have been at the moment. But we respect our dads for disciplining us. And fathers, you have to realize 
this is an important part of being a dad. It's not just being the guy that, you know, gave them life. It's it, being a dad is, is, is discipling. And it says, our fathers disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, in other words, until you were old enough to make your own choices, as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. Now I like that. It says, as seemed best to them, because He's saying no dad is perfect. They did the best they knew how. They did what they could. But the Father gave us an even better example. And it says this. Listen to this part. He says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Do you hear that? All discipline seems not to be joyful. There's, so you know there are moments when God says something to you and speaks to your spirit and stops you in your tracks because you're going the wrong way and He's correcting you. He's bringing discipline to you. It never feels good at the moment. He says never. He says all discipline seems not to be joyful. Now, the seems is important because it would be joyful if you really knew what was going on. But it never feels good at the time. And, I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody one time. And he had he'd gotten a little bit offended because somebody had told him, well, you know, sometimes God talks to me and I don't like what he says. And he got a little bit offended, like, you know, that's not how God talks to me. And I said, I brought up this verse. Well, you know, he says here in this verse that sometimes he talks to us and disciplines us and we don't like it. In fact, it says every time he disciplines us, it doesn't seem to be nice at the time, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who've been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, as a dad, I want you to look at this verse and, and put a smile on your face that someday... There will be fruit in your kid's life, and afterwards they're going to say thank you. Well, if you go through life waiting for them to say thank you, five minutes after they got spanked, five minutes after they got grounded, five minutes after they got timed out, it's not going to happen. If you go through life like that, you are going to have undisciplined, illegitimate children that you just try to be their buddy with, and you want them to like you all the time. Well, that just doesn't work. So thank God for fathers who are willing to put and sow right now for a harvest later, who are willing to put something into those kids now in love, because you always discipline in love. If you can't do it in love, it's not discipline. Whether or not it's a word, whether or not it's a grounding or time, anything you do, if it's not done in love, it's not discipline. So there are times in life, where you all know this, there are times in life where that kid needs discipline right now, but you're not capable of giving it because you're too ticked off. And the best thing you can do is step back and calm down. Maybe pray in the Spirit. Of course, in my house, there were moments where I was like, that seems like angry praying in the Spirit. <laughs> can you pray in the Spirit angry? I don't know. But take a, take a step back. Chill out. And don't say anything unless you can say it in love. Now, saying it in love does not always mean it's going to come out with flowers and roses and lollipops. It may be stern, but you're doing it for their good. A father never disciplines his kids to vent. 
Because that's not discipline, that's revenge. God set us free from the need for revenge. I do not need revenge, especially on my own kids. They may have done something stupid. I'm going to tell you a quick story, and I'm deeply ashamed by this, but not anymore. He took my shame. He bore my shame. All right. We, my, my parents spoke at a family camp. I don't remember where it was. I was pretty young. And um, one of the things they did at this family camp, and I don't know what they were thinking, is they gave all of us kids, as we were leaving, like when we're going home, sparklers. Right? And I didn't, my parents didn't know I had it. And I just took this sparkle home. You know, we live in Lloydminster, which is like little Chicago. It's the Windy City. And, and I went outside with this sparkler. I'm trying to light it in the wind. It's not working. And every time I try to light it, the wind blows it out. And this is just, just not working at all. Now, we had a van. This was actually the ministry van. It was a, the first red minivan we ever had. And I thought, there's no wind in the minivan. Right? I figured that out. I was a, a budding scientist who'd figured out there's no wind in the minivan. And I went in and I sat in the passenger seat and, and look at that, this lighter I had found. Um, and, you know, it's mainly used for candles, but this is like a candle, it just sparkles. And I lit it and to my horror, those sparks made holes in the seat. Just burned right into the fabric. There's this big hole and I thought, but then there was this moment where I thought, I can fix this. Because as a little boy, you always have those moments. And you go, I can fix this. And I went inside. I got scissors to cut the phrase. And this was red pattern. It was like a soft, cushiony pattern. But it was like a plaid pattern. And I thought, I can replicate that. I can do that with crayons. <laughs> it's got that foam stuffing on the inside. I was like... Colorable. I can do this. So I went inside. I got some crayons. I did my best to color it. And in my foolishness, because I was never an artist, in my foolishness, I thought, they might not notice this. I could get away with this. <laughs> it took them like two seconds to notice it once they stepped in the van. All my art skills for nothing. I spent like an hour out in the van like trying to draw a plaid with crayons on foam. And I remember there was probably a moment, and I'm trying to remember it, but there was probably a moment where the first words out of their mouth might not have been purely in love. But I remember that they handled it in love. And I remember that my allowance for the next few months was gone right away. <laughs> the first thing I had to learn was I had to pay for that. And I remember trying to hoard money in my, a certain little drawer, and I remember my dad coming in going, you got any money in that drawer? No, I don't know, Dad. I don't, I don't know if I have. I think you do. Let's take a look. Oh, you know whose money this is? This is God's money. Because remember God's van that you burnt a hole in? That's his money. I think I still owe God some money. But they handled it. You always know as a parent, there's a moment where something fumes up and you go, Oh, this kid. Because now everybody that rides in the ministry van is going to think we smoked cigarettes and burned it right in the chair. And anyways, but I remember 
there were times, and, and, and many times driving back from Lloydminster to Loon Lake, where there was a moment where I did something that, that fueled some fires. And they had the, the patience and the love to calm it down. And until they could discipline and love, they did their best not to do anything. Now, if it's going to take you an hour, that's too long. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. You can chill. You can calm down. But realize that discipline is not for you. Discipline is never for your benefit. It's not to get something off your chest. It's not to, it's not to just make you feel better because they're, they're now sorry for something. No, it is for them. And I want you to know, fathers, that whether or not you've been honored lately, I want you to know you're honored today because the discipline you've brought those kids up in is yielding fruit even now. And if, you're, if you've got young kids, or if you've got, God help you, teenagers, then know this. They may not thank you now. They will thank you if you discipline them in the Lord. Remember what Ephesians says. It says, now this is big because he said, Hebrews here is showing us the difference between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. But in Ephesians it says, train up your child, discipline them, and raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. Now that's even bigger because that means that as a, as a born-again parent, God's trusting you with His kids. He are, your children are on loan from Him and He's given you the blessing of God on your life to pour it into their life. Have you ever noticed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Have you ever noticed these guys? They laid their hands on their sons and blessed them. You know, that blessing was not, the, not, not theirs alone. I mean, I mean, who had the power to carry out that blessing? Where did the power come from? Where did the blessing come from? It came from God. Right? Because they were dying. There wasn't much they could do. When they're dying, there's not much. They can't stick around and hover around like a ghost and just help their kids. I don't care how many times you saw the Lion King. It doesn't work that way. They're not going to appear in a big, in big star formation and say, I'm always with you. They're not. But when they blessed them, God had given them the blessing on their life. In fact, it's even called the blessing of Abraham. God gave it to Abraham to give to his sons. And they passed it on. And you've got to realize that God has given you something to pass on to those kids. God gave it to you. You have it. And it's your responsibility to understand that they are on loan. These kids aren't just my kids. They're His. And my job is to say, I've got the blessing of God on my life to be a dad. I've got the blessing of God on my life, if you're a mother, to be a mother. And to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. He's trusting you with His discipline. That's a big deal. God, now realize, not everybody in this room had a had a godly father. And you know what? You look at your life and you find out that whether you realize it or not, God filled in those gaps. If you let him, he filled those gaps in. He brought people that you needed in your life. He was the father you needed. That you are not fatherless. But now, now that you stand on the other side and, and many fathers in the room today and some future fathers and some mothers who say, I want my husband to be a godly father I, 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 want, I want my baby's dad to be a godly father and what you've got to realize is that everything you need is in him 
He's the one. He's the one who's raising your kid. He's the one who wants to raise him. He just wants to use you to do it. God is not wanting to bypass the father. He wants to use the father. He's not trying to bypass you and discipline your kids behind your back. He wants you to be the one that raises this kid up. And that is a godly and powerful thing. But remember this. No kid is joyful about it to start with. But in the end, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And this is what we've got to know. We are sowing into a life for a harvest later. Now, you'll reap some harvest right away. But isn't this the, 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 the drive of a parent is to say, someday you're going to go further than I went. Someday you're going to go further. When Jacob laid his hands on Joseph's sons, when he laid his hands on the rest of it, when he prayed over and, and prophesied over the rest of his kids, he spoke about the day that they'd be a great nation. When David wanted to build the temple for, for God, he said, it's not fair that I live in a palace and you live in a tent. God said, David, you can't build me a house. You're a man of blood. There's blood on your hands. But here's what I'm going to do. Because you wanted to build me a house, I'll build you a house. I'm going to take care of your descendants. And I'm going to let your son build the temple that you dreamed of building. So you know what David did? You may not realize this because we all know that Solomon built the great temple to God. But do you know that David came up with all the plans? God gave David the blueprints. David was an old man and he was a powerful king. And because he was such a godly king, he had made alliances. And some alliances he made just for the purpose of getting materials. For instance, when Solomon needed, needed some cedar from Lebanon, he goes to the king and says, can I have some cedar? And this king goes, your dad was a good man. Because of your father, I'll give you this cedar. You see, this is, this is the drive of a godly parent is to say, I'm going to sow something in you that I may never see. But I want you to go further. I want better for you than I had for myself. Your kids may not realize that at first. They may say to you, what right do you have to tell me this? Now you tell them, kids, I want you to be able to walk to that altar on your wedding day and look at that, look at that person you're going to marry and I want you to be able to look at them and say, you're the first person I've ever been with in this way. I want you to be able to walk to that altar as a virgin. I want you to be able to do that. And they look at you and go, what right do you have to tell me to do that? You didn't do it that way. And you have to say to them, I know, but I want better for you. And you need to get out of the guilt and out of the shame that tries to snatch on you and say, you're right, I don't have a right. You do have a right. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, you are righteous before him. You are clean before him. And he looks at you like you are perfect. And now you are, because of your righteousness, that is his righteousness, you can speak righteously and say, guess what? Now I'm not that person anymore. And I'm going to tell you, you can do better than I did. You can go further than I did. I fought some battles that you don't have to fight. And thank God for parents that will say that. I want us to turn to Genesis if we could. We've talked about this before. But when I think of a, a great and godly father, Abraham is one of those that comes to mind. In fact, his name means exalted father. 
Abraham's name means father of many. We call him Father Abraham. We used to sing a song in children's ministry that I I really don't know the point of, or I didn't know at the time. I kind of get it now. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. I get it now, but at the time I was like, I don't know what this right arm, left arm. I did not know what that song was about. (laughs) Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. I'm one of them, so nobody ever explained why that was. But all we knew is right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg, and we learned the song. But we knew from a young age he was Father Abraham. But before he was father to many, he was father to Ishmael and then to Isaac. And he made some mistakes, we know that. But God's not looking for a perfect dad. He's looking for somebody that will be after his heart, that will listen to his voice. That'll trust him with your kids. Isaac had grown into a fine young man. And uh, Abraham had trusted God with Isaac's life, quite literally in one circumstance, where God told him to sacrifice his son. And he was willing to do it because he believed that God would be able to bring his son back. God saved his son's life. And when his wife... Sarah passed away. Isaac's mom died, and and it was a time of grief and mourning, and Abraham realized his time wasn't that far away. It says in chapter 24 of Genesis, verse 1, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh. How many men do we have here tonight, this morning? (laughs) Raising a hand is fine. How many men would like another man to place their hand under your thigh? Nobody here. Okay, good. I wouldn't either. I'm going to be as delicate as possible with this. There's a reason that's where he put his hand. Because Abraham had seen the covenant of God in his own life. Abraham was way too old to have a kid, but God said, you're going to have a son. And a miracle happened in Abraham's body. Very specifically, in a certain spot in Abraham's body, he was now able to have a kid. And when he told Eliezer, put your hand under my thigh, it was very close to where God did that miracle. And this was where... It's hard to be delicate, but this is where the miracle of his son came from. It's very important to him. He said, I want you to put your hand under my thigh. Verse 3. And he says, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you should not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. She will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from which you came? Now remember, Abraham, God called him out of his land. When he called him out of his land, Abraham was already an old man. 
And it says he set out not knowing where he was going, and he was going for the inheritance that God had given him. And God promised him a land for him and his descendants. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham lived in tents. He could have lived in cities, but instead he lived in tents because he said, I'd rather live in a tent in the land that God promised me than live in a city of the wicked. And so he lived in tents so that his his descendants someday would get to have houses in this very land. It says, for he was seeking a city whose builder is God. He was thinking about his descendants. He never got to see what they saw. But he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to plant my tent here, and I am going to stay here for their sake. See, when a godly person, really, when you become transformed to think like he thinks, the promises of God to you don't have to always be for you to get excited. In fact, some of the best promises God can ever make to you when you become a father like he wants you to be, a mother like he wants you to be, a, 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 a true uh, person after his own heart, some of the promises he makes to you aren't even about you and you get excited. Jesus bore the cross for the joy set before him. And guess what? The joy was you. Abraham was able to get excited about promises that he would never see. But at least my descendants will. And he says, I don't want you to... In, in, in verse 5, the servant said, suppose the woman's not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there! Exclamation mark. He yelled at his servant and said, don't you dare take my son back to where I started from. Now this is a godly thing when we realize as godly men and women, whether you're married or not, whether you're a dad or not, whether you're a mother or not, whether, whether or not you've got anybody that you think is looking at you, someday you're going to have somebody looking at your life. Whether it be your biological kid or it be somebody else that God's put in your life that you can raise up and you can help. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, do I have to go through the same stuff you went through? But a godly father, godly mother will say this, don't go back to where I started. You're a child of promise. You're a child of the covenant. And I went this way. I fought these battles like David said to his son. I fought battles. I got blood on my hands so that you could build the temple. Abraham, I went out from the land. I wandered as a stranger in many lands so that you would have a land of your own. Don't take him back to where I started from. Don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from his, my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. You see, a lot of us aren't happy unless God promises us something. Do you remember Hezekiah? When Hezekiah, <laughs> he comes and seeks the prophet of God. He says, I want to live. God says, okay, you're going to live. He changes, his, he changes the whole course of his life and gives him more time. He says, but here's the thing. There's going to be enemies that are going to come into your kingdom. And they're going to come and they're going to make slaves of your people. They're going to come into the temple and steal things from the temple. And Hezekiah says, at least it's not in my lifetime. Wrong answer. And it may be the, the way of the world to say, hey, at least it's not my lifetime. But a godly person, the Bible says a godly man leaves a heritage, an inheritance for his descendants. 
So you'll find that not everything that God promises you is for you, but you'll still get excited because God put in you the heart of the Father. Now, you may be weird to think about this, moms, and I know this is Father's Day, but mothers, that same heart of the Father, this Father, is in you in a little bit different way. It comes out in a different way, but it still comes from the same source. Thank God. It's weird to think, but everything you need to be in a mother is in the Heavenly Father as well. Now we, we call Him Father because all through the Bible He's called Father and Jesus called Him Father. So I believe He's Father. And yet, man and woman were both made in His image, in His likeness. And there are things that He's put in you that men don't have that still came from Him. And you realize that He's got everything you need to be a good mother He's got everything you need to be a good father. He says, The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and he will, and you will take a wife for my son from there. Verse 8. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from my oath. Only don't, and he says it again, only do not take my son back there. You see, this is the last thing. As Abraham is giving his, he's breathing his last few breaths, all he's thinking is, please don't let my son start where I started from. Because all that I did, I did so he could start from a new place. Just as Moses did for Joshua. See, Joshua was not Moses' natural son, but they had a father-son relationship. And in Moses, in all this time, he says, Joshua, and the, God says, told Moses to encourage Joshua, encourage him, for he will cause the people of Israel, Israel to inherit the land. He said, Joshua, be strong and courageous. You're going in. You're going where I've only seen. I've looked into it, but I can't go there. But you're going there. Moses died a happy man. He died a happy man, not because he got to go to the promised land, because he saw it and knew that his descendants, his people, would get to go where he couldn't go. Thank God, as a godly parent, there are going to be moments in your life where you look and say, I may not get there, but you're going to get there. And everything I do, just as Moses did to Joshua, everything I do is to encourage you so that you'll go and inherit that land. Be strong and courageous. Sons and daughters need to hear that. Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord is with you. There are times where you want to bash their heads together and knock them together like a couple of coconuts and then say, now kiss. But really, they're going to need that from time to time. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not quite like that. They will need some, some stern talking to, but more than anything else in their life, you've got to tell them about the land they're going into. It's real popular to tell them where you came from, isn't it? You don't know where I came from. Back when we were kids, you know what we had to do? Back when we were kids, this is, I mean, you guys are such wimps. You are pansies. You're, you're, you're all video gamed out, and you're, you're soft. You're doughy. You know what? You, know, and you, you, you want them to know that you worked hard. But more than the past, they need to hear about the future. And I believe this, and, and um, you know the rest of the story. In fact, I normally would read on, but we're going to stop right there. The rest of the story is Eliezer uh, said to God, God, you, you love my 
you love my master Abraham, so find a good wife. And God found that great wife, Rebecca, one of the best wives in the Bible. But let's put that on the, on the, on the table for a moment and realize that the last thing Abraham wanted, the last thing, he, the, his last wish, his last desire, was that his, his son would have what he didn't have, would have a good wife, now he had a good wife, but that his son would have a good wife and dwell in the land that God had promised and not leave that, but start from there. And there are going to be times in your life, throughout your kids' lives, even if they've already moved out of the house, where God's going to give you a glimpse of what he dreams for them of what he desires for them. You have to tell them that. Now, you don't have to run their life and tell them, this is what you're going to be, because kids will usually kind of resent that, push against that. Your job is to encourage them. Encourage them. Raise them up. Discipline them. Train them. Instruct them. But then tell them, this is where you're going. Be strong and courageous. You'll go where I can't go. I can't tell you how many times my dad said that to me. And I said, Dad, there's no way I'd ever be a better preacher or better pastor or better man than you. He constantly said, you're going to go where I didn't go. You're going to do what I could never do. You say, well, how is that? Because many of us look and say, my dad was a better man than I. You look at these and you say, he was stronger than me. He was smarter than me. But a lot of times, the reason we can go where we went is because they fought some of those battles for us. They went where we didn't go so we could go where they couldn't go. Remember my sister, and some of you may remember this, at my father's funeral, she stood up. And I knew I had a smart sister, but I was really proud of her on that day. She stood up and quoted Sir Isaac Newton, who said, if I've seen far, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. She related that to the fact that if we're anything, it's because somebody else fought a battle for us. They did something. They were willing to go where we couldn't go so that we'd go further. All this today, I hope it wasn't too disjointed for you. But let's tie it all together with this. The Bible says that this is all part of discipline. This is all part of discipling. Remember, Jesus said, what did he say to his disciples? Greater works than these will you do. You'll do what I didn't do. In fact, Jesus was called only to the house of Israel But he told his disciples, you'll go to the ends of the world. He set them up for success. What we started out with in Hebrews 12 was the fact that you're going to have to realize that it doesn't always feel good at the time. But there will be a day when there's going to be fruit that you planted a long time ago. And I pray that your kids are smart enough and wise enough and caring enough to stand up and say, thank you. I stand where I stand because you fought for me. Because you took the bullets for me. Because you went through some things and you, you, you trained me when I didn't want to be trained. You disciplined me when I didn't want to be disciplined. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're not seeing that right now. Maybe you're not seeing that kind of fruit in them right now. But I want you to know that the Bible says that the word of God is incorruptible seed. And if it was planted in them in love, it's going to do something. They still have their own choice. They have free will, but you can never take back the seeds that you've sown in their lives. Some of you here won't ever be a parent in the natural, but everyone here at some point is going to play a role in somebody's life where they're going to look back and go, thank God that you said that to me. 
thank God that you, that you paved a way for me to go where I'm going. And sons and daughters, this morning, if you have any wits about you, stop looking at all the mistakes that your dad made. And if you have to find a tiny thing, maybe, maybe you had the kind of dad where you have to look with a magnifying glass for anything right he did. Find that and say thank you. Maybe there's been people in your life, like I said, God fills these roles and fills these gaps. Some of you didn't have a good father, but God put people in your life to fill that role. Find them and thank them. Because at, at the moment we were being disciplined, we didn't like it. Someday, you're going to say thank you. Someday there's going to be fruit in your life because that person desired better for you than, than for themselves. And I want to encourage you single mothers. The Bible says God is the husband to the widow. He is the father to the fatherless. Don't ever go through life saying my kid won't be like all the other kids. He's going to be deficient. In the natural, that would be true. But God is able to do what you couldn't do. You trust God. God can do what you can't do. And he promised he'd be a father to the fatherless. He's not a respecter of persons. He's not going to leave that kid all alone. You trust him to be who, he, who you couldn't be. He'll fill the gaps. He'll fill the spots. Thank you, fathers, for being who you are. In this church this morning, there's natural fathers and there's spiritual fathers. I want to encourage you, too. Some of you have stepped back and thought, I don't have much to say. Maybe you were a very good natural father to, to your kids, but you feel that that's where your influence stops. But I want to encourage you, if you've served the Lord for some time, and you're walking in His ways, in His path, you've got something to say to somebody. You've got something to show, and, and maybe it's just been an example of your life. I want to thank you for being that example. I want to thank you for the love that you've demonstrated. I want you to know you're valued here. There'll never be a point where you outgrow or outlive your usefulness in this place. You'll only grow in value to us. I believe that the battles you've had to fight, the places you've been, have prepared a way for my generation to walk where we're walking right now. And I honor you for that, and I want you to know you will always be honored here. We're not going to kick you out <laughs> or stop listening when you get to a certain age. I've said this and I'll say it again. Some of the coolest people in the Bible were old people. <laughs> there really aren't a lot of old people here this morning. In fact, I believe most of you are young and he's renewing your youth like the eagles. But when there comes a day when you need a little bit of help to get into the church, now maybe I believe for all of you, you'd be like Moses who said, even though he's over 100 years old and he's ready to go, he says, if my eyes aren't dim. In fact, Caleb said, he's an old man. He said, my eyes aren't dim. I'm still strong. I'll take that mountain. But Moses' eyes weren't dim. He wasn't frail. He went on to be with the Lord, healthy, full of vigor. But there will be a day when you, you might convince yourself that this is a young man's game now. That the youngins are taking over and the music's changing and the lights are changing. As long as I'm here and as long as I think anybody in this room's here, you will be honored. 
because I believe that fathers have a place in the body of Christ. You can't be replaced. You have a place. And in fact, the scriptures, John says, when he writes the book of 1 John, he says, I write to you fathers because you've known him who's from the beginning. And that is something you can't replace. You've known him. You've known him through hard times. You've known him through good times. You've known him through storms. You've known him from sunny days. And those young men, they need to hear about a man that's walked with the Lord. You're honored. You're valued. And I want you to know you're greatly loved. Be the man of God that you are. Keep doing what you're doing. Increase in all the fruits of the Spirit. Increase in love. Increase in the peace of God. Increase in wisdom. You'll always be growing. And as long as you're always growing, you'll never find yourself useless. Let me read you one verse just to hammer that in, then we'll close. Peter writes this. He lays out in 2 Peter all of these things that come through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, that come from His precious promises. He talks about things like faith, diligence, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. He says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now as long as the love of God is increasing in your life, as long as the perseverance is still there, as long as all of these fruits in your life that God put there are still there and they're increasing, you'll never be useless. You'll never be unfruitful. And thank God, I pray that we'll have some 99-year-olds, some 102-year-olds in this church that we're going to get those young men to sit down with and just say, tell us your stories. Just tell us your stories of God's faithfulness. And you'll have earned the right to say, the Lord is good, and He's been good all these years.